0: Hello, this is Experienced Computer, an interview show about creativity, perception, and expression. I'm Jay Springett, and for most of my life, I believed that Picture This was just a metaphor. That was until 2022 when I discovered something about myself. I have aphantasia, the inability to voluntarily create mental images in one's mind. In this episode, I lead animator and director Julia Pott through a series of imaginative exercises. And then we discuss the role of memories and emotions in creating art, animation production, dreams and their influence on creative work, what it feels like to make and share work online, and more. Let's begin. Julia, hello. Welcome to experience.computer.
1: Hello, Jay. It is an absolute pleasure to be here.
0: For the benefits of the people at home, could you please describe who you are?
1: Sure. Okay. So, my name is Julia Pott. I am a British animator that currently lives in Los Angeles. I have a show on Cartoon Network called Summer Camp Island, which I believe shows on CBBC in the UK. And I saw once that it got presented with one of those like sweet puppets from our youth and I got really excited that I was finally in that category um but yeah I went to to Kingston and then the Royal College of Art and did a lot of short films um and did the festival circuit and then pitched a television show around 2013 and I've been working on that ever since we just finished our sixth season. So as a animator and illustrator?
0: Yeah go on then (laughs) What does that look like on the day-to-day for you?
1: It really depends on the day, the year, or the month. When I was working on summer camp, that was like a 7 a.m. to bedtime situation. And it was a lot of, um, you know, I was the, the showrunner, so be in the writer's room every morning for three hours, and then I would go into an edit or a character design review or a recording of the characters. Every sort of hour you go into a new meeting, which is really good if your attention is limited, like mine, and you're always making these new decisions now that I'm not working on the show, I think I work in a similar way. I really like this term slow motion multitasking, which I think is something Darwin adopted um early on, where you you have a few things on the go at once, planting seeds and they kind of grow and inform each other, so that's a lot, so I do a lot of hand building ceramics and then I do writing and children's books and developing a new tv show and sort of every day i i tried to do i tried to structure my day to be like mondays is the tv show and tuesdays is the children's book but i've realized that i just like to get up and be like okay what do i feel like doing especially right now because i have the luxury of not being uh in a full-time job
0: can you describe the room that you're in right now
1: i am in a dark green room um it is my office uh it's the second bedroom in our house and it looks out onto the street. So I spend a lot of my day waving at people who walk by, which is really nice. And we have a little tiny picnic bench hanging from our tree for birds that's full of bird seed. And so I see birds sitting on that all day long. I really want to make a paper machine newspaper and a tiny coffee cup and glue it to the picnic bench. I have pictures in the back behind me of Drawings my friends made me during the pandemic. uh, My fiancé asked all my friends to make me drawings so I would feel nearer to them. So behind me is all these drawings that my friends made me, which I really love. I've got a keyboard in the corner um, because I have aspirations of relearning the piano, but at the moment I just keep a piece of paper on it. And in the very corner I have an armchair with an ET plushie on it and some blankets that I got from estate sales. And my curtain is wrapped up with a bow that is made from my family's Scottish tartan, which I wore when I was bridesmaid bridesmaid for my godmother's wedding. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) So we'll begin with the traditional first question. Julia, could you please shut your eyes? And I'd like you to imagine a ball on a table. Now roll the ball off the table onto the floor okay thanks open your eyes what color was the ball
1: very very light pink
0: pinky orange what was the table look like
1: uh very generically it's the table i'm sitting in front of <laughs> does that make me a narcissist <laughs> table narcissist wooden Wooden, yes. Yes, dark wood. It has a drawer right in front of me and two drawers on the side.
0: And which direction did the ball roll in when it rolled off the table?
1: It rolled towards me to the right, so diagonally past me.
0: And when it fell off the table, can you describe the floor that it hit? It hit
1: the floor below (laughs) me, my floor. (laughs) So it rolled onto... um, a small rug that goes underneath my chair and was
0: the the pink ball lit from the light from your window
1: in front of you it was yes yes of course it was <laughs> I like to draw from life you know it's uh, that's where I get my inspiration
0: <laughs> so do you think because we did the exercise of you describing your room that's where the imagery of the table and the floor came from do you think
1: Oh that's interesting almost definitely I would think so but the ball itself which maybe you're about to ask me about was uh, very squashy and made of clay and moved not like a ball but more like something out of an Aardman morph film
0: it still rolled but it had that kind of squishy
1: it didn't really roll it more like it moved almost like it had like one leg like kind of flopping over itself right Very, very squashy, like a character. If you shut your eyes again
0: and just imagine flying out the window in front of you, Mm. and you can go anywhere you want, anywhere in the world, where do you end
1: up? Snowy mountain. Right. We just flew um, from Argentina to Chile, and there were some mountains below us. As we flew and I imagined while I was in the plane being out there, I have a a fantasy. My greatest fantasy is to be able to leap really high and far rather than being able to fly. I'd love to run up to something, jump off of it and leap to the next thing and then jump to the next thing. So whenever I see something from above, I spend a lot of time thinking about doing that.
0: So if you come to the office. Yeah. And fly out the window again. Mm -hmm. Where do you arrive this time?
1: My office in Burbank. Or this office?
0: At the office you're in now.
1: Clouds. And I'm seeing all the dogs from All Dogs Go to Heaven.
0: Okay. And when you flew through the window, were you you doing the leaping thing? What was going through your mind in order to get to the destination?
1: Could go through the window like a ghost. Mm Mm-hmm. And then as I got to the clouds, I kind of slid through the clouds, like one would slide down a slippy slide at a children's birthday party.
0: And then you arrived at the the destination.
1: I didn't arrive. I just kept going. Like, oh, your arms were scooping clouds, much like you would cotton candy. And the dogs from all dogs (laughs) were waving at me (laughs) because as we've established I'm an opposite. (laughs) Hi,
0: Julia. (laughs) (laughs) all right we should do one more we should do one more this time see if you can imagine instantly if you can Hmm. just so it's like stepping through a doorway rather than flying somewhere okay Okay.
1: through the window where are you this is hard now i'm in my head um i see myself in a coffee shop
0: in a coffee shop it's interesting Mm -hmm. that it was harder to do as an instant thing, than the process that you would normally do if you were travelling somewhere imaginatively,
1: yeah. To so just step into a room, mm. yeah. I found that really difficult. I think I got in my head also that maybe I wasn't doing this correctly. Oh, and then and then I was like, oh no, what if I, <laughs> what if I continue to do it incorrectly? I got my British schoolgirl panic going on in my brain.
0: yeah i mean yeah don't overthink it
1: (laughs) impossible um yeah i'm imagining sorry i'm imagining like a 70s coffee shop like a shop coffee shop that would be exist in the 70s with a lot of carpet and big window
0: Mm. because i've met people that can do that step through the door or step through the window where do you end up and they're like tuscany drinking a glass of wine and then you ask them to come back and they step through where are you now oh i'm at the airport flying to Tuscany sort of thing. It's like, oh, I've got Tuscany on the brain.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why won't you send me to Tuscany? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe because I just got back from a trip. I'm like, I'm in my house. I'm in my pajamas. That, that's my current desire. I'm lying down on the floor sleeping. with are in seat.
0: Rather than doing this weird interview.
1: <laughs> I'm having a great time. <laughs> okay. Well, now we're going to Eat
0: an imaginary apple together.
1: Mm. Lovely.
0: So if you could shut your eyes and imagine an apple in your hand. What does the apple look like? Purple. It's a purple apple.
1: Mm. It's making me think about Snow White. Mm. Because it's purple, which
0: is a witchy colour. Is it the ideal apple or is it an apple with imperfections or whatever?
1: Imperfections, it's a different apple. You definitely pick it up in a shop because when do you ever get a purple apple? But it's more of a curiosity than a um, luxurious tree.
0: Mm. And is
1: it shiny? Yeah,
0: definitely. With the little stick, does it have a little leaf coming out the top of it or is it just...
1: it? Doesn't have a little leaf, but it is in an apple orchard.
0: Oh, so you're in, the apple is in the, orch, in the orchard, it's not. Um, yeah. So you're sort of situated there with the apple.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am holding it in my hand and there's grass underneath it and then two like avenues of trees on either side. Mm. But it's the only purple one.
0: Can you feel the texture of the apple on your fingers as you imagine it? You can feel the weight of it. Mm. Mm. If you were to throw the apple up in the air and catch it and then rub it on your chest, mm. can you do that? Does the the weight of it feel like it should be the right weight for the size of the apple and what gravity?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And it feels, I feel proud of myself for catching it and I feel excited to rub it on this particular outfit because I'm wearing a cashmere sweater. Which feels nice when you rub an apple on it.
0: And if you were to rub the apple on your sweater,
1: is it more shiny in that area afterwards? It's cleaner. Cleaner. Do you rub an apple on yourself to shine it up or to clean it? I always, I always think it like was I'm taking the dust it. off. Ah. Oh, it, for me. It's the first step in, a, in an apple clean. Like if you're on the road, give it a rub. Maybe you don't have to put water on it.
0: Interesting. <laughs> the apple clean routine <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah they were getting into the the meat of the story how do we clean our apples
0: i mean it's the relationship that you have with apples though right it's like as something that comes yeah. to mind <laughs> this is an interesting question because you've already said that it's sort of snow white and you're there in the in the orchard if you were to bite into the apple
1: it makes me think it's important to mention that there's a worm coming out on the back side of it
0: yeah. <laughs> Was that there the whole time?
1: Also soft pinky orange. I think that's because it's my favourite colour. And also when you close your eyes, it's kind of the colour of behind your eyes. So I feel like that comes to mind often when I'm visualising things. The, the apple itself. I, I don't know what I'm thinking of, but there's a television show where someone bites into an apple. Oh, oh, I think I'm thinking of Hook. Am I thinking of Hook? The texture of that, when they eat their imaginary food and hook, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like um, thick, almost clay-like, similarly to the ball on the table, like more of a novelty fake apple, like you would get like a a bowl of wax apples.
0: Wow, that's really cool. (laughs) Is it because it's a purple apple?
1: I would imagine, yes. And also, I think when I think of things in my mind, Similarly to being in the clouds with the candy floss, I think about the texture a lot and the tactile nature of things. And I think biting into an apple seems kind of, if I'm going to do it in my mind, it might as well be slightly elevated.
0: Mm. Did
1: it have a sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like biting into an apple because that's a really good sound.
0: The texture was completely different. Mm Mm-hmm. So the sound wasn't consistent with the texture of biting into the apple with the crisp crunch.
1: Yeah, exactly. Crisp crunch in a soft interior.
0: So it's like a sound effect for it.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got a Foley artist in to do this.
0: (laughs) What about the taste of it? Nothing. Nothing.
1: I I think because in my mind, that texture is nothing it's Mm. kind of like rice pudding is kind of a tasteless textural thing uh farina is farina is that right cream of wheat is farina those kind of like more white porridgey thicker things tend to be quite bland which i often find satisfying what about if we took a
0: different fruit what's your favorite fruit oh um Apples.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love peaches. I love peaches and plums.
0: So if you were to bite into a peach, can you imagine what it tastes like?
1: My first thought is biting into a a peach that isn't ready. Mm. Because that is often how I bite into my peaches because I can't wait. Yeah. And so it has, again, the consistency. This one does have the consistency of biting into an apple and subsequent disappointment. <laughs> so similar crunch, but crunchier than the apple.
0: But can you taste it?
1: You know, I can't. I can't do that.
0: What about smell it? The smell of peach?
1: Yeah, I think I can imagine that more, but it took me a second.
0: Are there any tastes that immediately come to mind that you can immediately recall? Cheese, cheese, mature cheddar.
1: Oh yeah, bit of sharp mature cheddar, definitely. Mm-hmm. Cheese and apple. <laughs> <laughs> um, I often taste, even though I'm a vegetarian, I often taste ham in things. So when I eat, I think honeydew melon. The taste, I taste ham.
0: I get that as well. And you? I yeah. Oh, yeah. no
1: one ever agrees with me. I'm so glad you said that.
0: Yeah, i definitely get that.
1: When I first became a vegetarian, I would eat honeydew melon because I missed ham. <laughs> it was <laughs> like, oh, great. Yeah. Delicious.
0: I-, I can imagine the taste of it of a honeydew melon. That sensation of the ham. It's kind of like at the back of your mouth, I guess. Like
1: mm-hmm. I love how much thought you've given to where the ham is in your mouth. <laughs> where does the ham go? If you were to imagine, like, your favorite food, yeah,
0: can you smell it and, and taste it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spaghetti. Bolognese.
0: Does your mouth start watering?
1: It does a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm thinking about garlic bread.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really nice. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit of garlic bread. But, like, not not crap garlic bread, like, when someone does it right.
0: Yeah, like the best.
1: So oh, rare. I feel like that skill's been really lost recently. No one's been making a good garlic bread. Everyone's been too busy baking bread. Exactly, yeah. Take it to the final end, you know? So,
0: not having a mind's eye, I can imagine the taste of certain foods, but I don't salivate from the idea of eating something. But as soon as I see it, I'll start salivating, for sure.
1: That's so interesting. Because with, with aphasia... Aphantasia. Aphantasia. Oh, my God. What's aphasia? What am I aphasia talking about? Aphasia is
0: the abin- inability to swallow.
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, please feel free to edit out any time i said <laughs> aphasia up until this very moment. Or we'll keep it in. I, I will be humbled by it. Do you have sounds in your mind when you think of things? Yes. You have sounds. And then no taste
0: i can taste stuff i can smell some things um like right now the first thought of the smell that came to mind is it's always cigarettes (laughs) someone lighting a cigarette interesting yeah (laughs) standing next to them at a bus stop or something you're like "Mm, that smells so nice next question moving on um Can you remember something from your childhood that you remember really fondly?
1: Yeah. Um, I really loved, uh, we got a new television when I was like seven. And I loved getting in the box. In the box? In the box that the television came in. I I set up a whole thing in there. I, I used to get these dinosaur magazines delivered. So I just stacked them all up in the box. Get in the box, lie on my back, close the box, read the magazines. Heaven. Was it the magazines that where you used to get the bones? Yes, yeah. and you made the, the, the. Was it glow in the dark or was it just regular? I remember it being. Yeah, oh, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. yeah I, I exactly. As well. <laughs> when you remember that memory, what was the first thing that came to mind? Was it the feeling of being in the box, or was it the box itself? And then you remember being inside it. It
1: was getting into the box. Exactly where the box was, which was in the living room. Um, I really liked being in the box, knowing that other people were in the room, but I was inside the box. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember that being a very important part of the box. It was the box sitting there with all the four flaps open and me getting in from the left side. So with that memory, can you still smell the cardboard? Yeah. I love the smell of cardboard and paper bags. When I moved to the States, I would just like get the paper bags from the grocery stores and just like huff them. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's one of my top smells, cardboard box and paper bags, so I can get it to mind very quickly. How do you remember things
0: like objects or maybe books that you've read? Do you remember things by their colour
1: or their shape? It's really interesting that you asked that because this just brought back the memory that my mum used to say, I knew you wanted to be an artist when you were a kid, because you would describe the color and shape of the book rather than the title. Mm. Alice, my sister, would always ask for like, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I'd be like, do you have the beige book that like has the small spine and then there's like a bit of pink on the bottom? And mum was like, artist, (laughs) that one. Or terrible memory of names of books could have gone either way. (laughs) It's nice that she went in that direction.
0: (laughs) Does that continue? Do you remember things by colors and, and shapes? and like the locations of objects
1: yes i'm absolutely terrible with names of people Mm. books movies anything and yeah i will remember the visual of it i think i sometimes frustrate people with the way that i ask for things or describe things because i i title it in a way that's kind of obtuse like do you know where that the pink squat thing is that lived in the corner of the house
0: Mm. rather than just a vague thingamabob
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like, do you, re- you mean the plant? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: nice. So is that a lack of textual details? And by textual details, I mean, like, obviously there's a title. Can you picture one of your favorite books that you've read recently? Yeah. If you were to pick that book off of the bookshelf, can you remember whereabouts the scene that you're looking for is in the book?
1: The scene? What do you mean the scene? So you're
0: you're remembering something that happened in the book, yeah. And you're pulling it down off the bookshelf. Do you know roughly whereabouts it is inside the book? Two thirds the way through, or half the way in?
1: I do, but I'm often wrong. I'm like, oh, it it was here, and then I'll go through it. It's same with like photos in in my iPhone. If I'm like, oh, I'm looking for this particular picture, I'll be way off on where I think it is in the stream. I can remember. I'm thinking about a particular book, which I've retitled something else in my mind, which is something my mum does and it drives me crazy. But I do it too, where I'm like, I know that the book is called At Days Closed, but in my mind, it's called Times and Nights Past or something. And that's always what I'll call it. And I'll recommend it to people and I'll call it that. But I'll remember there's a passage that I like. And I remember where I read it, which was not here. It was in a different place. It was in Vermont. And I really liked a particular passage so I can picture myself reading it there. And in my mind, I was near the end. So I think that's where it is. But if I tried to find it now, there's a high chance it's like the first page.
0: Do you have a similar relationship to music at all? When you hear a song, you're like, oh, that was When I lived somewhere.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm. The first thing that comes to mind rather depressingly is that band. Do you remember this band JJ72? No. Yeah, no. I don't think anyone ever heard of them. (laughs) I don't know how I even found out about them. But I remember one Christmas. I... Every Christmas was usually a wash and I would get like sequin art and that would be it or make your own soap kit end of Christmas. And one year I made a list of 100 CDs that I wanted. I was like just getting into music. I was like very into Radiohead. I think I was like 13. And and for Christmas, there was just a tower of CDs all wrapped up in one stack. No idea what I did that year to get exactly what I wanted And I remember one of the CDs being JJ72. So whenever I think about music, I think about me sitting in my bedroom, starting with that CD. Because I just like sat and I listened to all of them all the way through. Um, But that was one of
0: them. Mm.
1: And it's a very fond memory. It's like one of my childhood memories where I was like, I got what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it being 100 CDs. It might have been like 15 CDs, but in my memory, it was like 100 CDs. It was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My parents bought me Virgin Megastore and Tower (laughs) Records.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When you're watching a film, do you identify with the protagonist as in imagining what that person is going through? Or are you, when you're watching a film aware of the filmmaking process and that you're looking through a lens
1: looking through a lens mm.
0: so you're conscious of of that language of filmmaking and cuts and i don't know pull focus and all of that sort of stuff
1: that's actually a really good question because i don't know i do think i feel immersed in the storytelling i'm not looking at it as a with a critical eye, I'll usually, if there's a film on, my general review at the end was that I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> like I'll get like more critical about it by the end, but like if someone else is like, "No, it's absolutely but I'm like, "Oh yeah, let's discuss that." But I get pretty into them, and I really enjoy spending time with the characters, and I'm not thinking about cuts or pull focus or anything like that. I read something once that benign, do you know what this term benign masochism?
0: No. Please do go on.
1: It's, I forget the actual details of it, but I think it's like benign masochism is like people that love going on roller coasters or eating spicy food. Mm -hmm. um, And that they're better able to watch horror movies because they can, and listen to sad music because they can understand that it's not currently happening to them. Which is why they can experience spicy food because they know there's no actual threat. And with roller coasters, and that some people don't don't you know, some people really love that feeling of benign masochism and some people don't. But I always thought that was interesting that they're, Oh, you know what I read about Aphantasia? Is that you're better able to watch horror movies because you don't visualize the spooky stuff as much. Is do you find that to be true?
0: I don't like watching any movies as a as a general <laughs> rule.
1: say more about
0: that well (laughs) I mean I don't want to publicly write off a whole medium but when I watch a film I don't remember anything about the film once I've stepped out of the cinema I only experience it in the moment when someone talks about scenes from a movie I assume they're literally replaying it in their mind Someone was over there standing over there. Someone moved, or you know, some explosion happened, and it was really cool. I'm not bringing any of that to mind. It's just a thing that happened. Like a film to me is just a sequence of events. A friend of mine was recently working on a screenplay, and I read it, and I realized, actually, a screenplay is how all books should be written. Someone does this, and then they went over there and did that and said, "This put this to this person because of this." And because it was all plot, there was no filler, it was just a, a, a one long sequence of events, and that's how I remember experiencing movies as well like I recently summarized all whatever eight seasons of Game of Thrones in about like 20 seconds about everything I can remember
1: I've not seen it so if you could summarize it for me I would really appreciate (laughs) it I
0: just don't remember unless it was like a key plot point I just don't remember anything about the film so
1: do you feel like you empathize with the characters or not really at all yeah you do when you're in it
0: Yeah, when I'm watching it, certainly. Like, I'll feel emotional watching a film or whatever.
1: What about books?
0: I prefer books, but obviously I've never had that thing where everyone's like, oh, it's not not how I imagine the character, (laughs) you know, when it's on screen. I do prefer books that don't go into a lot of description because I'm not imagining what it looks like. It's just information about where they are.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't read Little Women. It's all description. (laughs) (laughs) It's all charming details.
0: <laughs> I prefer books that are like dialogue-heavy, I suppose.
1: Oh, interesting, and plot-heavy. Yeah, mm.
0: yeah, just not not detail.
1: How does it be about short story?
0: Love them. The compression of information that's required to write a short story, I think, is is really good. Yeah, and poetry again is that that further compression.
1: That's interesting because I feel like poetry is so like visual and immersive. And it, I find it fascinating that that's, that's the one you resonate with most. Only if you read it out loud, though. Ooh. If you read it out loud or if someone reads it to you? That's
0: a bit cringe. Now, if I read it out loud. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I only like it when people read poetry to me. <laughs> <And Phoebe Bates. laughs> in a garden. <laughs> yeah. um, have you read George Saunders' book? No, I'm not going to remember the name. The, the Dog in the Pond in the Rain or <laughs> It's called about Russian short story writers. It's so good. He goes through the short, he puts the short story in and then he analyzes it mm. and talks you through it. I, I highly recommend it. You should have George Saunders on your show. It's brilliant.
0: I'd love to. Yeah. You're listening to Experience on Computer with my guest, animator, Julia Pop. If you're enjoying this episode, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps out with the algorithm. Thanks. Now back to the show. I guess we can... Move on and uh, <laughs> talk about computers, actually. Okay, let's do it. Do you spend more time on your phone or on a desktop? Desktop. I hate my phone. Mm. What sort of things go on in each place? What's the desktop for computing-wise and what's the phone for
1: I prefer reading articles on my computer because it feels akin to a newspaper scale. Mm I don't like reading on my phone. I can't just like lie back on my phone and get into reading a bunch of articles. I think also because I really like copy pasting things I read um, into a Google Doc and you can't do that the same way on an iPhone. iPhone is for Instagram that's sort of all i use it for i really i have a, the sub stack app on my phone and i use i read a lot of those on there because i feel like it's built well for that i also have an app called pocket which like puts like articles that are interesting um from across different publications i like it on there sometimes i'll put up a reddit i do like to scroll through my my photos and reminisce love that <laughs> Um, I'm a terrible texter. Absolutely hate it. Not good on the phone. Um, I use my phone for going on walks and listening to podcasts. A lot of audio books and podcasts happen on the phone. And then laptop is for everything else. All work, all all articles. I like to lie on a sofa and put it on my lap and slowly destroy my body while reading articles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the heat on your belly, I'm not sure yeah. like, what that's doing. It can't be good. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth it to read an article about Taylor Swift. So desktop
0: is for work, basically, or it's for everything.
1: I consider the desktop to be for work, but it's for... I text on there because I prefer being able to type with my thumbs. Mm-hmm. I watch YouTube videos on there. Anything that needs to be scaled up that would be better at scale. Mm. Um,
0: so is that a relationship thing? Like you have the relationship with your phone is that is that you you just prefer using the desktop?
1: Yeah, I really hate being on my phone. It makes me anxious. When someone else gets their phone out in front of me, it makes me anxious. Do you know this other term, ambiguous loss?
0: Please let the listeners know. <laughs>
1: um, it was originally, I believe named in the 70s about people that went to war and were sort of missing in action and that feeling of not knowing where your loved one was and then they applied it to people with dementia like having someone that was in your house but maybe emotionally no longer there in the same way and then they started applying it to breakups ambiguous loss in that like you could you could go around the corner and see your ex but it wouldn't be the same and so you feel almost like there's been a death and then they started applying it to people getting their phones out at dinner that like someone is emotionally completely absent but physically there and um that's how phones make me feel for myself and for other people as soon as I get my phone out it feels like the entire world just goes into the phone mm. and almost like when you have a weed gummy or something if someone asks you a question it feels like you have absolutely no idea what's going on and you have to like completely re-enter society and I don't like I don't like that
0: What's the difference between the phone screen and the, the large screen of the laptop in that way? Is it because the, the a, a laptop screen is more expansive that you don't feel the, the attention zeroes in so much?
1: Yeah, less of a blinder situation. It's also often my laptop, as I described, is like right behind a big window, right in front of a big window. So I am also taking in the outside world and I have a wandering eye so I can look around and I'll get up more. If I'm looking at my laptop rather than on my phone, it feels like, yeah, it like goes down to its smallest possible visual. And it's also like you're curled in. I think when you look on your phone, like you're more interior and a laptop feels more expansive, like you're not slouched. You're not getting your tech neck. It's uh, it's a whole different vibe.
0: (laughs) What about scrolling through your photos on your phone Hmm. versus scrolling through the photos on your desktop?
1: I never look at photos on my laptop. Never. Mm -mm. No, never occurs to me to do it.
0: Even though you could see them bigger?
1: I don't want to see them bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone looks cuter when they're like teeny tiny on your phone. I think... I usually look at my... I'm thinking about this because I was just on a flight. When I'm on a flight, if I don't want to watch the movie and I'm too tired to read a book, what I'll do is get up my photos and just look at them.
0: Mm.
1: And like... Reminisce, delete ones that no longer feel relevant. Um, that's my phone. That's my plane activity. But I don't. It doesn't occur to me. To, I'm not trying to like waste time on a laptop in the same way. Mm. It's almost like my TikTok again. <laughs> Narcissist. My TikTok is just photos of myself. You're gonna look at
0: my photos. I <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs>
1: don't like what you guys are putting out. Let me look at what I do.
0: <laughs> when you're scrolling. On a phone. The images are moving up the screen. What's going on there? Is it like a an infinite road of content, like the the opening crawl of Star Wars? Or is it or do you feel like once it goes off the top of the screen, it kind of goes round the back of the phone as if it was like a treadmill or a blackboard on rollers? Oh, that's
1: a brilliant question. Infinite scroll. Straight up and down.
0: Straight up and down.
1: Straight up and down, like a like um when you feed paper
0: yeah when you when you click on a menu on your phone, where's the menu coming from Space <laughs> So it's coming from somewhere abstract
1: yeah, yeah, it does feel like it comes from the ether, yeah like it's coming from like a point in space and then like like zooming up to you is that
0: because of the animation i guess
1: i suppose so yeah Mm. yeah that's a good point yeah
0: do you draw with a peripheral plugged into your laptop or do you always use pencil and paper
1: pencil and paper Mm. i hate drawing on the computer because i i don't like that there's no tactile nature to it and it changes your drawing style completely because it's it's smooth it's not you're you're a different artist on the computer than on paper I think it's same like with stop motion versus 2d animation those are two different genres in my opinion but people like obviously can amalgamate their drawing style on a cintiq but I've just never really cared to to learn (laughs) is that because
0: you you have that that feeling that it's a different you or like the art that you're creating is a different you to the one that's drawing with a pencil on paper
1: yeah I hate change so that's probably part of it I also personally do not care for digital art if it's amalgamating the idea or trying to like copy the idea of something that's on paper if something's like 3D, I really like the artwork of Julian Glander, who does like 3D illustrations. I think those are great. 3D animation that's like very abstract and trying something new. I love that as well. I I don't care for digital art.
0: Personally. Is there something about your relationship with the end of the pencil? The way that the line comes out the end of the pencil on the page?
1: Yeah, it feels like magic.
0: Yeah, it does, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's incredibly satisfying. Yeah, it feels like magic. One of my favorite things to animate, and we would do this a lot in summer camp, is someone writing something with a pencil. Because when I was a kid, I loved seeing that because like, it felt like sometimes they would do it and it just kind of appeared behind. And I thought that was really interesting. Or if it actually comes out of the pencil in animation, because I know it's fake. I think that's really, it's like kind of a double-edged mm-hmm. situation because it is a pencil drawing a pencil line, but animating a pencil making, I loved that. Yeah. That, that really that I think that was the first time where I was like, I want to be an animator because whatever's happening is here is great. Um yeah, it feels like magic. When you
0: draw, do you see the thing that you're drawing in your mind's eye? Or does it evolve on the page?
1: It it depends. Um, sometimes I'll have a sudden flash of a visual of something, and I'll be like, Oh, oh, I want to draw that. And I'll go to my desk and I'll draw it, and it will be. Not exactly what I imagined, but it feels like they're connected. And sometimes, if I'm doing a doodle, more often than not, it start, I start by drawing the eyes always mm-hmm. and go from there and see what happens. And if someone looks like they're lying on their tummy, then that's what we do. Um, I, I, I definitely, if I do a commissioned work, I'll sketch it out because that's often what you need to do, to like show, show roughs. Um and then I'll I'll trace that with a light box. So the rough drawing becomes the final line work. And sometimes that comes out much better and sometimes it doesn't. It loses some of it some of the, the charm of it. I always think I should do that more because those drawings seem more thought out and more compositionally interesting. But I like a bit of a doodle. If I if I'm just doing it for for, for the fun of it. I also just started doing hand building ceramics and the things I've been making Are pencils. (laughs) I've been making (laughs) ceramic pencils and highlighters. (laughs) Do
0: you have a pencil in your mind that then you want to make in ceramics?
1: Yeah, it's also really satisfying. I made a ceramic pencil and a ceramic post-it, and you just, like, you draw on the post-it with the pencil and nothing comes out, and it has, like, a tinkling tinkling noise, which is really satisfying. I made, like, a calculator that you can't press the buttons on. It endless joy. I made piano keys that you can't play. It's like they're frozen in time, and I find it really funny. It
0: makes me laugh. It's interesting, though, because animation is obviously like the opposite of that. You bring something to life. Do you, in your mind's eye, do you see how the character moves and then draw it?
1: For the most part, you storyboard it out, so you have to visualize that before you animate it, definitely. And it's so much planning things out in advance, especially working on a TV show, because so many people have their hands in it. Um there's something interesting about the television show specifically because we would be in the writer's room and there would be like three hours of writing. And of course you're visualizing what that is going to be like. And then you have a a handout where you sit with the storyboarders and you hand out the episode in script form and they take it and they storyboard it. So there's, there's a lot in like having to just like trying to describe what you visualize in those scenes, if you are really attached to them, but also knowing when to step back and be like, don't, get to in their head because then they might not visualize what you've described. And then there's some weird in between where no one's happy. And in the beginning of making the show, it was a lot of like learning to let go of what I had visualized in my mind. So that when I went to the storyboard pitch, I wasn't like, Oh, <laughs> that doesn't look like how I imagined it. Cause often it would look so much better. And, but you're so attached to the thing that you visualize. Um, yeah, but there's in my early short films, I would storyboard it, but I would storyboard them in a sketchbook, so it would have that kind of more fluid feeling. And then I would often like because you do a lot, you do storyboarding, and then you do keyframes, so it's like the poses of each character, and then in between that, so it really is like building up a visual and trying to keep that fluidity, even though it's being quite rigid, is an interesting thing if you drew a sketch of a
0: character maybe it was a new character from a doodle could you then imagine in your mind's eye what i don't know when they turn their head
1: yeah 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 because there's that's part of the work of it because when you have a for like a main character in our show the character design will design a turnaround Mm. and so they have to like it's very structured and there's so many notes back and forth because some because that can go so many different directions. Like, this is what this person looks like in profile in my imagination. Like, they have a cat nose, so this is what it looks like. And then you're like, no, 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 more like this. And it can get to, like, the tiniest line being shifted on Photoshop to be like, their uh, chin is slightly higher. And you're like, there they are. That's them. And, and with the short films totally different, I never did a turnaround because I was like, I wanted them to look different in every possible situation. And I want it to be more fluid. The reason I got into animation, other than the pencil situation, was um, that I really wanted to animate what it feels like internally when you feel all of your emotions. So when you feel embarrassed or mortified or scared, it feels physically like your body is moving. But obviously no one can perceive that. So I wanted to be an animator because I wanted to tell stories in that way.
0: So you wanted to capture a feeling not just as an image but as a moving image.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: As you go through different drafts of a film, very similar to the way that you said about like you move a line in Photoshop and the character just arrives, do you know when the feeling that you've captured is there? Is there a moment or does it creep up on you?
1: It's it's specific in a similar way because you could have because it's animated like you can do the keyframes and you're like, yeah. And then you'll put it in the animation and one of them will look slightly off or, or you'll do the whole fluid motion and, and you're like, oh, I got to take out one of those last frames to get that drop right, to get that feeling. It's so it's so much minutiae and it's really satisfying if you have enough energy to get that feeling right. And yeah, you have, you have so many pieces to play with and you can be like, if I take this frame out in the middle here, totally different vibe. Um, it's like framing through a movie because there's 25 frames per second. Often you animate on 12.5 because you can get away with that. Um, so for every second, you have 12 drawings at your disposal to to shift around and, and change slightly, which can be maddening because if it's not quite right, you can shift it forever.
0: So is it an exercise in manipulating rhythm?
1: Mm-hmm yeah definitely it's rhythm and it's often like I feel like there's so many I have so many visuals in my mind of different types of animation and the ones I resonate with and the ones I don't and I feel like there's such a fine line between something looking Tim Burton-y which I don't like and and like Edward, Edward Gorey like which I do like like there's like these two like and it's just like oh that eye is slightly too big and now it looks like one of those styles, which I don't resonate with, but if you move the eyes slightly, so there's all these different things that you're balancing and it is also rhythm. But I feel like if the character design is not something that is looking right, the rhythm, you almost don't see it because you're so obsessed with how it doesn't look like a character that you enjoy looking at. Animation in some sense speaks the
0: language of film because you're designing cuts, movement, and you know, blocking out things, but you're also building everything from scratch. So you could do anything, (laughs) you know. Yeah, animation could literally be anything you want at all. Mm. But it's a visual medium, so both you and your audience are conversant in the language of film. How things are cut, or even if at a subconscious level, there are expectations about how certain things should should work or operate. Yeah. Even if the world itself that you've created in the animation doesn't work that way. Is there tension there creatively about like, oh, I want to do something mad?
1: I I find those um those structures soothing. Mm. I I think like we often when the when the show first started, we would have conversations about hookups. So how does this shot hook up to the next one? And I'd be like, I don't care about it. Doesn't matter. Like they'd be like, oh, a character's coming in from here now, and then in this next shot they're coming in from the other side because the camera's turned too much. We should fix that, right? And I'd be like, no, it's interesting. And then we get them back and I'd be like, this is fucking crazy. Well, <laughs> like I can't follow this story at all. And, um, and I think to me, story is so important that I don't want anything to distract from that. And, and I think if you're making a choice like that, you can make a choice within the parameters. Like you can make that abstract choice, but still follow the cinematic rules to a certain extent, like push them to their limits so that you feel a little unnerved, but not so unnerved that the person looks like a, bad filmmaker it's like it's terrible someone's going to come after me for that but it is it is jarring when you don't follow those like the 180 rule or or certain hookups it or like the the cut-ins right it throws you and then you can't follow the story and if that's the intention of what you're watching that's great but if you're trying to get someone to follow someone's journey I think it's elegant to try and keep within those compounds to a certain extent You're a voice actor on the show as well as in other shows as
0: well, right? Let's talk about that for for a second. Is there a difference between making work that's animated to other people's voices versus your own dialogue recording?
1: That's really interesting. Something that's interesting in a record, which is not what you just asked me, but I always am fascinated by, is that there's like a four-hour session on a Thursday and you record everyone for the show. You will leave that recording absolutely exhausted because you're mirroring all their emotions as they're doing them from the from the behind the glass where you're watching them do it. If they're sad, you can feel yourself. And it's the same with animating. You do those expressions as you're drawing them. And there's an exhaustion to it. But you're also taking in how their face is working so that when the storyboard happens, or the animatic storyboard happens first, and then you do the animatic and you can revise the facial expressions to match the voices. So you're taking it in. For when I'm doing it, it's easier, yeah, because... I I can do my facial expressions and I know what I did when I performed it because there's only, but it's also an interesting thing because it's not the same as what you asked either, but in my mind, I'm like, oh, I want to say it like this. And then I can't, I cannot get hit that tone or that level of sadness or the particular rhythm of what I want to say. Like I can't physically say it, but in my mind, it's great and perfect and hilarious, but I can't get it out. And now I always found that frust- frustrating and fascinating that you can't let that align. But yeah, for facial expressions, but trying to trans- transfer it onto the page, it is easier if it's my voice, yet. And when you're doing the voice
0: acting, obviously you're you're watching the animatic or watching the storyboard with the beats and the pacing to get the dialogue out. Are you imagining being the little cartoon character? Are you inside it or are you I'm not entirely sure how to articulate this question oh
1: that's a great question i think if i was yeah i'll 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 visualize being the main character because you're often also thinking about like mapping like how do they fit into the scene like what's the horizon line like if like one character is approaching three other characters i'm in the mind of the main character and i won't think about it from the angle of the other three characters because that's not where the camera is
0: are you seeing it from the camera's point of view or are you seeing it from the fact that you're the main character and the other characters are moving towards you?
1: I think both. I think I'll do inside the character's eyes when I'm thinking about how they might respond to it. And I go, Oh, this is, we need to punch this joke up. It's not quite working. I'll think about being the character and then think about what they would say. And then, so I'm then I'm in the scene and I can see the house behind and the the fireplace and all those things. And if I'm storyboarding or looking at a storyboard, I think it still happens a little bit that you're inside the... I think you're more often than not inside the eyes
0: of the character. Fascinating. What about when you're working with someone else's voice? Like some of your earlier films, for example, where you have just the audio recording of someone and that's the material in which you're shaping the, the visual character around. Are you trying to do justice to the vocal performance or are you... How you interpret how the performer was feeling when they were doing their performance?
1: That's interesting. I feel like, yeah, my early works, I would go and interview people and you'll often, there's like a, like a three, like a two, three step program of like, you interview them, you're with them, you see them, you remember their memories. And then when it's time to animate them, there's like, there was a Tumblr at one point and I forget what it was called, but it was all like animators acting out poses and like, you know, like, For performing the thing that the person's doing so that you can like look at it so like if I was animating someone someone's voice I'll play the voice and then I'll video myself like saying it as if I think they're them Mm. and then I'll look at me to animate the thing so it becomes this kind of combination of both but there's often like if you don't do that like I'll be thinking of the face as I'm drawing it and like scrunching my face up and making the eyes and the things as I'm drawing that particular expression. And then once you put it in, because you make a dope sheet where you track every single syllable of the, and you frame through, and then you animate that, you'll throw it in. And sometimes the eyebrow will raise at the wrong time and you'll have to shift it around. And it's, it's similar to, it's, it's it's similar to like the turnarounds where you move the chin and that, that the character is, it's the same with lip syncing. You'll put it in and you'll be like, oh, that's not quite the emotion, is it? And then you'll have to, like, have to animate it again. It, I mean, but it's also like, if you animate Let's think and it works, it's so satisfying. It truly feels like magic. And once that character is saying it, you no longer imagine the person that originally gave you the interview that that, is, that character is that voice. What about
0: the work as a whole? Do you feel like, because you've created everything from scratch, in the same way as an author, I guess, but because of the, me- the medium's different. Do you feel like everything that you were trying to convey making the film, the feelings, are reanimated literally from the moment the beginning of the film starts to the end?
1: Like, have I successfully transcribed my emotional state into the film?
0: Yeah, like a vessel, let's say, that's alive whenever you press play.
1: I mean, it's the ultimate challenge. I think that's what everyone's trying to do with filmmaking is to be like, this is how I feel. Did I share that with you properly? <laughs> and um, it sometimes I think that I- I'm often, I like to wallow and feel sad and in like safe spaces. And I like to make films that that's kind of do that as well. And so... While I would love for someone to feel happy and get the happy emotions right, if I can make someone get the devastated emotions, like if I can have someone like welling up at the end of something or feeling that feeling of fear or like it's often like eeriness and sadness, those are the ones I want people to feel. If that comes through, I'll feel like it's successful. And often because i'm I'm projecting exactly what makes me feel sad or scared when I see the film. If it resonates with me, or if it gives me that feeling, then I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I feel like it's successful. And it doesn't always happen, but if it does happen, it feels amazing. And though that tends to stay consistent, like if if something has felt once I've finished a film, like it resonated with that spooky feeling. Um, if I watch it ten years later, I still feel spooky in that moment, even if I think the animation is crap or it looks digitally weird. I still feel spooky, <laughs> so I like that. <laughs>
0: So the, the film does re- recapture the emotion or reanimate the emotion.
1: Yeah. It's also like you are like, you give the, you put the film into the world and then people come up to you and say like, this is what I resonated with or this is what it made me think of or I thought it was about this. So you are like giving it away in a sense. And, and the things that people connect with are usually not the same thing that you were intending to to put out there. Do you feel like when you put work on the internet or
0: online, do you feel like it's part of you that you're like uploading to the internet?
1: That's really interesting. I think about this all the time because I I have friends and people that I meet and I'm like huge fans of their work. And I expect them before I meet them to be a certain way. And they're often like not... Similar to their work at all, but like if their work is very dark, they'll be like a really like soft, sweet potato, like just like the sweetest, cuddliest person. And I'm, I think that's really interesting because I'm like, oh, there's this part of you in here, and it's so interesting to me, and it makes me want to get to know you better. And you've put this piece of you out into the world. It's kind of like a flirt. Like I feel like it, it's a flirtatious thing to be like, here's me, and then here's this other thing that came from me, and. I don't usually let people see this. And this is how I express myself when I'm alone. So, yeah, when I put things on the on the internet, there's something interesting because I feel like there's like, I think I come across best in, in writing and drawing. Like that's most, most akin to what I am. And I don't, I've always been really self-conscious of how I verbally communicate. I don't think I do it well. So often, if someone sees some of my artwork and they really resonate with it, and they're like, "Oh, I'm surprised to see that coming from you," or "I didn't know you were interested in that," that makes me self conscious because I'm like, "Oh, well, then I'm not verbally presenting myself appropriately," because that the written version is actually, or the animated version is actually what I'm like.
0: Your career sort of started putting films on YouTube. What, twelve years ago? Ten years ago? Something like that? A thousand years
1: ago? Yeah, yeah, I think a thousand was. years ago. Yeah. <laughs>
0: do you feel like that person is you at that point in time or is the that work still you
1: definitely not still me that person in t- it's funny because i feel like i resonate more with me as a 5 year old which i imagine is common for a lot of people than i do with me as a 21 year old i like feel like the clumsy stumbly loud person that said the wrong things as a 5 year old and then at 21 i became like very shy and when I watch like video interviews with me at that time or the work I made, it's like timid. And I know that I'm in my memory, like very scared of the world of talking to people, incredibly introverted, um, never took phone calls. When I first put stuff on YouTube and it went on the front page, I started getting emails from people wanting to work with me and they'd be like, let's just hop on a phone call and we can discuss it. I would not take the job because I didn't want to get on the phone. I was like devastatingly, cripplingly shy. And so when I think back on that person, I don't know them Mm. in the same way. I like feel like sad for that version, that version, because I know how scared she is. But the version before all of the editing comes in, where like when you hit like seven years old and you're just like, oh, actually, I'd like to be this way. That version is the version I I resonate with still and I know is in here, even though I still have moments of being very shy and feeling very introverted and overwhelmed. I, I think that that cool person is who I think of when I think of myself now.
0: But that person's work still resonates with you and makes you feel a certain way.
1: My earlier work? No, Belly I My, my work from the Royal College of Art, yes, I still resonate with that. Um, but that is about me being a kid. Like that's derived from... The age where I feel like I connect. (laughs) So there's an interesting, yeah. I feel like my earlier work is a lot like sweeter and I don't consider myself to be particularly sweet. And it's also just like you're getting, you're like working a muscle, you're like seeing what works, what sticks, what resonates with you. There's also like something so freeing about that beginning piece of artwork because you don't know what kind of filmmaker you are yet or what kind of artist and you're not trying to like top yourself or or do a better job so there is even though I felt quite shy I also felt really free mm. and I no longer feel that way so I think that's also something that I can't connect with that freshness so that's successful work what about bad work <laughs> oh god Leah, let's talk about bad work
0: <laughs> I mean obviously everyone makes bad work it's just the what it means to be an artist but yeah um is it because the thing that you were trying to do with the work never appeared or snapped into focus? You're still moving the lines around in Photoshop?
1: Yeah, I feel like every day, you know, it depends on the day because I feel like there are certain days where you just can't get it and there's there's no way. I usually give up on those days because I used to push through and it would just make me feel really sad mm. and like a bad artist and I think there's like, there's something to now like if I sit down to draw and I'm like three drawings in and I'm like Ugh, it is not today is not the day and I'll go do something else and it's kind of like a nice release because you're like okay today's not the day sometimes I did not have that luxury especially on the show like you don't have the luxury to be like sorry producer today's not my day I'll see you tomorrow. um and so you have to live with those like crummy drawings or crummy ideas and that's like Especially with the show those follow you through to the very end. If there's something in there that like you drew a hand or whatever or you did a clean up thing for something, like that's there forever. If you couldn't get on top of it. And then when it came back around it was too late to get on top of it. And when it doesn't come together, yeah, I think it is like I think it's also like Some days I feel, yeah, really sharp, depending on whether or not I didn't drink the night before or have a good night's sleep or I'm not feeling poorly, like, and it's all part of it. And also, like, when you're younger, I think you think your art is much better than it is. And, like, looking back at art from that time, I'm just like, oh, God, this is absolutely horrifying. But at the time, I thought it was good. And so, like, so what's the... um, And then there's that feeling, I think someone told me recently, I thought it was really helpful because some people like connect with pieces of artwork that I've done that I think is absolutely trash, and someone will be like, "Hey, this illustration isn't on your website anymore, but I would love to get a print of it." And someone once told me that, especially like if you have a meal and someone puts the meal down and they're like, "It's terrible, I didn't do a good job," and you like the meal, then you feel foolish for liking the meal because that person doesn't like it. Does that make sense? Yeah um or if, some, if someone says oh I love that piece of artwork that you made and you're like oh no it's absolutely fucking terrible then they feel silly and like they don't know how to <laughs> Then they don't they don't have good taste in art so I thought it was always helpful for someone to be like don't criticize your own stuff if someone has told you that they like it just accept that they like it and that's the end of that conversation <laughs> say thank you and, and move on but yeah b- bad art I think more often than not I'm, I'm I produce bad art or I'll, I'll produce something and that night I think it's great and then the next morning I think it's bad.
0: Are you always thinking about the audience when you're creating personal work and the show? Or are you more thinking about creating the the work itself?
1: I don't think about the audience until it's out in the world. Mm. Often I'll think, oh, yeah, I really like this. And then I'll put it up and nobody likes it. And then I'm like, but well, I still like it. <laughs> it, it doesn't really change my opinion of it. But it makes me wonder what I was thinking. Just <laughs> like, why do I resonate with this if somebody else doesn't? Um and the thing that I thought was bad, people really like. And with the show it was always interesting because you'd be like, Oh, this episode is so good. I love this episode so much. And then you put it out and no one would say anything about it. And <laughs> you'd be like, oh I still okay, I still think it's good. Thing. <laughs> It's usually like the weirder things, like the things I think as an artist, you always resonate the thing that you've made that was weird or not slightly like slightly out of your, your comfort zone. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's really good because it, it doesn't feel like me. Which feels like a nice, nice respite. Does it
0: not feel like you when it reaches the audience? Or does it not feel like you when you first sort of created the, the work of art?
1: When I first create it, I feel if something's like, if I feel like I push the boundaries of what I make or I've gotten like, I've drawn the leg in a way that I've never drawn it before. I'm like, oh, this drawing is great and I love it. And because it's outside of me slightly, but I find that those resonate less with other people.
0: In a really early interview, that you did the person that you said that you don't connect with anymore you said (laughs) you said that your mum used to get you to draw your dreams when you woke up yes is that something you still do
1: it isn't i i kept a dream journal for a while Mm -hmm. um which i enjoyed I no longer draw my dreams. No, but I bet it would be incredibly satisfying to do so. I recently heard that it's stored in a part of your brain that's such short-term memory that that's why by the afternoon you can't remember them at all. So if you don't write them down or draw them right in the morning, that's it for that. Mm. Do you? What happens when you dream?
0: I think I have visuals, but I don't really know what visuals are meant meant to be (laughs) to meant to look like. (laughs) Like imagining what an apple looks like, but. Yeah, I mean go over here someone says something to me weird stuff happens like dream logic <laughs> ha- you know what i mean it's it's still a yeah, dream, dream you know it's still a dream <laughs> yeah i was interested in whether you think drawing what you've seen in your dreams is different from drawing what you see in your mind's eye and putting that on the page are they different sources
1: well yeah because a dream is a whole world like you're trying to draw something that felt like you got to live a different existence through what feels like days. Mm. I feel like if you're trying to draw a particularly intense dream, you're trying to draw a whole movie. And I think with like, if I'm like, Oh, I want to draw a bunny sleeping on a desk. It's just a still it's frozen. And if, if it's something that's visual, then I'll animate it. It would be amazing if I was getting up every morning and animating my dreams. <laughs> if only. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, yeah, different. Completely different. Do you think that the
0: place that dreams happen is similar and related to the mind's eye? Or are they different mental spaces?
1: No. It to me it feels more like um putting on a an Oculus. Going into a dream. Okay. Or going into a phone, like that feeling of like mm everything's gone complete complete yeah you're completely immersed audibly that every sense is completely stuck in that place and with your mind's eye it's like you're trying to be in two places at once because you can feel what it's like to be sitting in a space that you're sitting in what it's like to look out the window what the smells are in the room you're in and then you're trying to imagine something else at the same time See, that's how I remember movies. That <laughs> you're trying that you're sitting in two spaces.
0: Yeah, that I went to see Star Wars. Yeah. And there was someone who had all their coats like piled up on the chair next to me, and like the, the detail of the experience of being in the cinema is is like co located with the memory of watching the film.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. So you're not like totally absorbed?
0: No, I'm just sitting there watching a film in a big room.
1: How do you feel about someone eating popcorn next to you?
0: I guess it depends if on how they're eating. <laughs> I did a podcast about this in my other show. I've got really vivid memories of playing Dungeons & Dragons in a kitchen at university.
1: Why do you think specifically that?
0: I mean, it's strange because it's not like it's in my mind's eye. It's just a memory. And I have a memory of a really smoky kitchen overflowing ashtray in the middle of the, the table with all the beer cans around. But I also have the memory of being in Ankh-Morpork because we were playing the Discworld RPG and, you know, running down the cobbled streets. It was a very vivid memory, but I wasn't visualizing anything at the time. It was just a story that was happening.
1: I wonder if that's because it's... Dungeons and Dragons, where you play, like, the story on the table or Dungeons and Dragons, a video game?
0: No, where you're, where you're sitting around a table, Yeah performing together
1: it's almost like theater like you're you are immersed in that story and you're playing that character I wonder if that's like the perfect aphantasia combination of visual reference like Penn Ward who made Adventure Time would use the DD form of storytelling often to like tell it, it, I think this is right to tell the stories of Adventure Time like how you like pick the characters and choose the scenario and I think DD is like Such a popular form of storytelling with artists because it is so immersive Mm. um and i wonder if that just hits the sweet spot for you
0: but then i now wonder whether all the people that i used to play DD games with had their mind's eye going all the time imagining where they were sort of thing rather than just operating on the information given
1: yeah probably (laughs) yeah (laughs) crazy have you ever done like one of those immersive theatre experiences? Like I went to one in, in Greenwich when I was back called like Troy, I think it was. Um, um, the Punch, punch Drunk. drunk. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, uh, the last one I went to was Drowned Man, which was quite a while ago. Oh, I don't know that one. But yeah, I have been to them. Um... Do you like
1: them? Do, does that feel?
0: I really like those experiences. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: I'd really like to go visit that Star Wars hotel. I think that's cool.
1: What Star Wars hotel?
0: Apparently Disney have built a, a hotel that's like a Star Wars space station that you can go stay in and it's like LCD screens. So you walk around and you look out the window and there's like spaceships flying by.
1: In California or in Florida?
0: I have no idea.
1: In <laughs> Japan? <Huh? Somewhere. laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. That's, yeah, because like I, I wonder because it sounds like cinema is like distracting because there's two narratives. But if you, for immersive situations where the whole point is that you're immersed in, in the situation, I wonder if that would be like particularly brilliant for you. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. I've done quite a bit of improv and stuff like that. Honestly, finding out that everyone else is imagining squares and cubes and colours and stuff is it's really it's really quite something to to realise.
1: I think I was thinking about this today. I was talking to my friend. I was saying that we were going to talk on the phone, and I was thinking about how with the whole solar punk thing, like it's so much visualizing a future. And do you think that you resonate with that more because it's an external thing? Or do you find, like, how does that work with Aphantasia? Because it's so much imagining what a future might be like.
0: This is something that quite a few people have asked me to write about or speak about, actually. And I'm not entirely sure. But looking through my writing, I've always called for people to imagine brighter, better futures. But I've always personally said that I think about how I want the future to feel Mm. rather than imagining what it would look like, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, that's lovely. How do you want it to feel? Safe. Warm.
0: Not as in um, 1.5 degrees (laughs) warming. (laughs) um the joys of life you know these are the the futures that we should be imagining
1: when you say the joys of life what what are the first things that come to mind
0: singing laughing eating together is something that i really enjoy you know the the natural human things telling stories yeah yeah that's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. that's the future that i want
1: i mean that sounds great how how do you How do you imagine computers in the future?
0: I personally think that computers will... Our relationship to them aren't all-consuming because the things that are inside the computers aren't after every second of our attention. Mm -hmm. I would like them to facilitate relationships.
1: That's what you think will happen or that's what you would like to happen?
0: That's what I would like to happen. (laughs) The future might just be like old people in old people's homes with VR being fed cure inside Zuckerberg's metaverse.
1: A thousand percent. Well, the future will be yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is horrifying. What's your thoughts on that we're already in a simulation? Are you on board with that? Do you subscribe to that or no? No.
0: I, I think that whole line of that whole line of thinking is just like the the human impulse to explain whatever's going on with whatever the newest technology is. You know, before that, we thought we were in a mechanical watch.
1: Wait, what? Well,
0: at the beginning of the Enlightenment, there's the, the metaphor for God is that he's the watchmaker and that we're in a, a wind-up machine that's just... I don't know this. It's like the argument for the universe is that if you were to be walking on a hill and you find a pocket watch and it's just such a perfect object that is ticking and so complicated that it must have had a creator. That's the argument of the, the universe
1: that's really interesting because I feel like time is like the most human manufactured thing, like a watch. It is it's like the least un, least godly thing you can pick up.
0: Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, the demiurge at the time.
1: I love that so much. Anyway,
0: speaking of time,
1: yeah, yeah, I've got
0: one <laughs> last question. Okay, how do you know when you're done?
1: Like with life, or with <laughs> a piece of work? <laughs> dinner
0: with a piece of work
1: I um, do well it's different depending on the project with summer camp you had a schedule so you had to be done at a certain point unless you begged for an extension hmm. if you were particularly attached to an episode I think often it's exhaustion level I think you can get like pretty sick of something and if you have the energy to remember that you should take a day off and come back to it when you're refreshed, then you can keep going for a really long time. If you don't remember that, I feel like you can be like, okay, it's done. It's done, we're done. And I just want it to be over. Someone once asked me if I was a results-based artist or a process-based artist, which I thought was a really good question. And I was like, well, what's the difference? And she was like, well, you like spending time on the project and that's the idea that you love the tactile nature of making something. Or results-based, you want to show it to people and you want the validation that comes with that. I'm definitely results-based. So I really like, although I love the tactile nature of making things, I love drawing. I don't like, if once we get into the computer, I hate the process. Once I'm, if I'm drawing, I love it. If I'm making something sculpturally, I love it. But I am also thinking like, oh, I can't wait to put this out in the world. <laughs> I like to have a dialogue about it. So I think... Often I feel more done if I think the work is good because I'm excited to show it to someone. Mm. If something's bad, it's hard to know. I I tried to quit working on belly a few months before it was done because I just didn't want it to exist. I thought it was really bad and I didn't see the point in three more months and I spoke to my teacher at the Royal College and she was like, well you could just work on it for three more months and have a film, or you could have wasted the last seven months of your life and have nothing. (laughs) It's like, well, yeah, that's really good advice. And so I finished it. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to know. I mean, I think someone has to give me a timeline Mm. to know when something is done.
0: So do you finish a lot of work?
1: I've just spent the last five years finishing a lot of work because we made 120 episodes because I had to contractually. I, I enter into contracts a lot like a lot of my work is payment based so yes I finish them I, I, I yeah I have a tendency to I, I am a completionist I like to finish them <laughs> when I'm reading a book I'm often thinking oh I can't wait to write in my diary that I read another book but it, <laughs> finish it and write it down which is terrible a terrible way to read a book and I'm also enjoying the book, but I'm like, oh, mm. when it's finished, I can write The Hobbit. And <laughs> I can't write The Hobbit this year. And then when I'm done, at the end of the year, I can be like counting how many books I read. Um, so yeah, I like it because then it's done and you can you can have the satisfaction of having finished something, which is meaningless. Well, I think we're finished. Yay! <laughs> I'll write it in my diary. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much for this interview. It's been an honor.
1: Jay, this has been one of the funnest interviews. I absolutely loved it. Thank you for asking me. Be well. Yeah, you can. That was Experienced or Computer with Julia
0: Pott. And in the next episode, I'll be speaking with philosopher Reza Stani. This episode of Experienced or Computer was created and produced by me, Jay Springett. Intro music by Paul T.Q. Freeman outro music by Lawrence Steele. Find more episodes of the show at experience.computer and you can find more about me and my work at my blog, thejmo.net. Thanks for listening.